brought to you by MuleSoft. Visit MuleSoft.com to find out how MuleSoft's API-led approach to connecting apps, data, and the Internet of Things can revolutionize your businesses. Hi, I'm David Berlin, Editor-in-Chief of Programmable Web. Today is February 14th, 2020, Valentine's Day, special day. We love developers here on Programmable Web's Developers Rock podcast. And today we have two very special guests with us. One of them is Jeff Schmidt. He is the CEO and co-founder of Apollo GraphQL. And our other guest is one of our authors, that is Bob Resselman. He writes about GraphQL and other advanced API technologies. So uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Excited to do this. And Bob, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks again, David, for having me again. Yeah. Well, uh, we love to have you here, Bob, as because you're <laughs> such a great writer for us. And uh, for those of you who haven't uh, read some of what Bob writes on Programmable Web, we strongly recommend doing it because he writes uh, in very technical details, you know, all the technical details about things like GraphQL, which is the subject of our call today. Bob, in fact, authored uh, what I believe to be one of the most comprehensive guides to GraphQL for us on Programmable Web. It's easy to find. If you just Google GraphQL on ProgrammableWeb.com, you'll find it. So uh, I want to start with you, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, you're the co-founder, as I said earlier, and CEO of Apollo GraphQL. What is Apollo GraphQL? Well, Apollo is a way to build a data graph inside your company. So to talk about what a data graph is for a second, you know, let's think about API technology and where it's coming and from and where it's coming from and where it's going. Um, you know, the world's gotten a lot more complicated. The apps that we build have gotten a lot more complicated. There was a time when building an app, well, you might have a web server, it might talk to a database, you might access that app through a web browser. Uh, pretty simple layout that was easy to understand. Now there's a lot more moving pieces. It might not just be a website. In fact, it's probably not. It's probably an iOS app, probably an Android app. You might have a lot of different channels used to reach your users. Um, it might even be like a voice assistant. It might be something IoT related. It might not even be a first party property. Like you might want to reach your users through partnerships, integrations. You know, why should your first party app be the only way people access your services? Uh, and what's behind those apps is a lot more complicated too. It's not just a web server and a database. You've probably got a bunch of microservices. Increasingly, you might have other SaaS APIs you're pulling in, lots of different data sources, multiple clouds. So whereas, you know, kind of traditional API technologies like REST and SOAP grew up in a kind of like a point-to-point -point way of thinking, where if I want to talk with you, we, we dig a ditch, we bury a cable, and now we can talk. Um, uh, the data graph is more of a, kind of more like a telephone network where you can dial any number and connect to anyone you need to. Because if you think about it, you've got many different microservices or many different data sources. You've got many different things that want to consume those, um, consume those services. So what you need is a more flexible way where instead of having to build a new API endpoint, like a new REST endpoint for every use case, or every combination of data, every screen in your app, every time you want to fetch a different group of things in a different combination, the data graph gives you GraphQL, which is uh, it's almost like SQL for databases. It's a declarative language for saying, I don't have to write code anymore to fetch a particular combination of data. I can just describe what I want declaratively. I can, I can use GraphQL to express you know, my needs. And then um, 
you can have like a, a query plan or a resolution engine that's able to go fetch the data wherever it may be uh, and assemble exactly what you need. So it means um, front-end developers don't have to ask the back-end team for new endpoints. It means you can build new products really quickly and new features really quickly. It means your partners, you know, if you have public, a public API, it means that suddenly those people can build much more rich and complex um, um, products. Uh, it also means your apps are faster, you're pushing, putting less data across the wire, they're more secure because you're not, your security is independent on like all this handwritten code. So there's a lot of benefits to kind of rethinking the way we think about APIs in this much more connected many-to-many -many world. Um, and that's what the data graph is all about. Uh, and so and so I want to just stop you there. Sure, so, yeah, please. So, so uh, obviously you mentioned sort of like SQL as a, uh, a, a former way of doing this, SQL, GraphQL, they both share the QL, the query yeah. language bit. So th there are some similarities there in the, in the old database world. If we wanted to get a whole bunch of data from uh, multiple connected tables, now what mm -hmm. we're talking about is getting a, a, a collection of data from multiple connected microservices all at once with one exactly. query, right? And that's one of the big advantages of this API technology, GraphQL, is, is that instead of going out and fetching the data from each of those sources independently and then tying it together when you bring it back, you can sort of with one query go out, get the data where, uh, in the, to the extent that it's connected to each other across all those microservices with one query and bring back all that data in one fell swoop. Is that correct? Yeah, you've got it exactly right. And if you think about it, SQL revolutionized databases. Before SQL, your query planner wasn't a piece of software. It was a human being. Every different use case, you'd have to write a bunch of custom code to join data from here, join data from there. And uh, you know that didn't, that didn't scale. Right. You know, that didn't scale as early as the early 80s. And what's happening now is kind of the emergence of a similar model for how you get data out of the cloud. So if SQL is about how do I get data off of disk, uh, GraphQL is how do I query all these different services in the cloud for all the same reasons that we wanted to move to a declarative paradigm with databases back in the 80s. There's now this move to this declarative, you know, query-based paradigm, um, you know, in, in how you talk to microservices and talk, talk across the internet to data sources and backend services. Understood. So now uh, we know what GraphQL is, at least we've, we've talked about it a little bit here and described it to some extent. I'm sure there's more to it. What is Apollo? So Apollo is probably the easiest and fastest and most popular way to build a data graph. And you know, this idea of a data graph, a map of all of our data that we can query, that might sound really elaborate and intimidating and difficult, but it turns out it's something you can bring into your team or your company really quickly. Um, Apollo lets you build a data graph. Um, and you can start it just with a few lines of JavaScript, really. You can be up and running in an hour or two because you can build a data graph on top of the um, existing APIs or backend services you have without having to um, you know, change or rewrite anything. You can get into production that really quickly. So um, there's both an open source component to the Apollo platform, Apollo client, Apollo server over a million downloads a week now, so it's gotten really popular, probably the main way that people use GraphQL today. Uh, but then there's also a complete graph management platform. So as you could go from one or two developers using GraphQL to multiple teams uh, across your company, and you need to solve those problems of, you know, how do we scale all of our, our workflows and how do we scale security? Um, you know, what's, what's our practice for as we go from a couple people using this to kind of a vision about how we're going to roll this out across our whole company and have truly one connected graph? Um, we've got your back the whole way there. And it's used um, everywhere from you know, small project startups who are just getting started with GraphQL, all the way up to um, companies like Expedia that are building one data graph across, I think like 20 plus brands across the whole Expedia group portfolio, 
or um, Airbnb, where you know Apollo is growing to power all customer experiences, or um, runs the front page of the New York Times, uh, powers a lot of stuff at PayPal. So there's there's um, you know it's a very scalable solution to getting started fast um, without having to get you know too much politics or buy-in. That scales all the way to kind of the you know most demanding use cases. It scales both in terms of query volume and also in terms of the number of developers we're working on. Well, I'll say it's also one of the most famous solutions in the GraphQL niche of the API economy because you sort of can't talk about launching a GraphQL API without Apollo coming up in the conversation. At least that's my point of view as the editor-in-chief of Programmable Web, where we like to think of ourselves as the journal of the API economy. The two are almost synonymous with each other. In fact, off the top of my head, I don't know of another solution that I can recall by name that does what Apollo does for GraphQL, uh, that you know, and another solution that also does the same thing for GraphQL. It's just sort of like you guys were like the first ones there doing this, and there's really nobody else that's risen to the same sort of stature that you have risen to in providing this sort of technology. I think back to you know the days of Java, where there were a whole bunch of different vendors providing Java solutions, uh, J2EE servers. You know, there was Sun, of course, who invented Java, and then there was BEA and IBM, uh, but um, off the top of my head, uh, Apollo seems to be uh, the one that's definitely got the early jump in terms of being the go-to platform for providing GraphQL APIs. Uh, Bob, I'm going to go to you. Um, you've obviously written a lot for us, and I, I think if, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, Apollo is primarily running on Node. What, what have your findings been in terms of uh, other uh, GraphQL platforms? There are. There are other platforms out there, but before I go forward with the other platforms, I need to comment on Jeff's modesty um, because he's uh, being very modest actually about what GraphQL does. Um, and particularly with regard to SQL, one of the benefits that GraphQL brings to the arena is that with SQL, you've got to know a whole lot just to get something simple done. You know, select, start, select this field, this field, this field from this, da, 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 do joins, jump around, turn around three times. And you have no intrinsic way of discovering what it, those data structures look like. GraphQL brings that right to the forefront. So the concept of a join is completely irrelevant in GraphQL and you can do what's called introspection, which allows you to inspect the complete type system of the, uh, data, of, the data, of the data structure. And that's really, really powerful. The other thing that GraphQL uh, brings to the table is this notion of subscriptions, of uh, really real-time messaging. Whereas databases have triggers and you can sort of get around, you know, they're there, but they're not first-class citizens. You got to know a lot. You got to register a procedure around the trigger. GraphQL, it's really just as simple as registering to a subscription as you would to any other message brokerage architecture. Very, very powerful. And what it does is it creates this notion of what's called a hybrid microservice model. Whereas you have, in some world, you might have REST, which is intrinsically synchronous, or you might have... Uh, RabbitMQ, which is intrinsically asynchronous, but bringing them both together into a unified programming and consumption experience is pretty special. And GraphQL does a good job with it. And I got to say, Apollo does a really, really good job of making that happen. Right, so all, of the, all of the demonstration code that you've built that people can come and experiment with on programmable web was all built using Apollo, isn't that right? Yes, yeah. yes it was. It was all built using Apollo. Um, there, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's it's straightforward. You have um, you have to be careful. I'm not gonna. I don't want to burst your bubble, Jeff. Uh, you have to be careful. Uh, but the, but again, Apollo does a good job of saying here's what you need to be careful about. And let me give you two uh, use cases where you need, one needs to be careful. And uh, the first one was really the Monet project that happened over. I think it was at Netflix or Facebook. I forget. I have to look it up. But what they did is they combined all the microservices together or all their services together under a single GraphQL. Uh, uh, interface or a graph, a GraphQL graph. And what happened was, is that they had some significant performance problems. And the performance problems really had nothing to do with GraphQL, the specification, or any of that. It had to do with they were keeping all the services in their same distribution model. So for example, service A was coming out of India, service B was coming out of East Albonia, service C was coming out of Mars. So even though on the GraphQL, you have one trip to the network, Behind the scenes, there's still all this multiple network latency going on. What they did to solve the problem is they brought all the data into a common data center. So latency, that's a, we have to always be aware of latency. Pay me now, pay me later. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we have to be aware of when we're using GraphQL, and Apollo points this out, and they're really good about this, is that when you start using subscriptions, you have to be very careful about choosing your message brokerage architecture that's going to back those subscriptions. The one out of the box, it's good for learning and good for experimentation, but it doesn't scale. And again, Apollo mentions this, so we need to be just aware of that. There are other ones. There's a net solution. There's a Java solution. Uh, there's a Python solution, Ruby solution. They all, all people are going out and saying, look, if you want to cre create GraphQL, uh, and a GraphQL experience, you have different languages. Remember, GraphQL is a specification only. It is not. Right. It does not di di um, dictate implementation. But uh, I did. I like GraphQL. Hey, you got me. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so there are other for, for developers who are listening to this, uh, yep. and they who want to experiment with GraphQL. They're not tied to going to Node.js, which is the platform for Apollo. Right. They can go right. to one of these other platforms. So, going back to you, Jeff. Um, knowing that, are you going to stay focused on Node.js as your platform of choice, or are you going to be offering the same functionality that you're providing on yeah. Node.js on other platforms? So GraphQL is a whole ecosystem, and the Apollo platform really embraces that whole ecosystem. So yeah, yeah, I, I think you're referring to Apollo Server. So that's yes. one yeah, of our yeah, of course I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apollo Server is a great way, if you're a front-end developer, to build a data graph quickly in your company. Uh, and you know the great thing about it is, it's not a silver bolt that's going to solve every performance problem you have, but it's almost certainly going to be better than what you were doing yesterday. Yeah. So it's a step forward. Um, and sure, you know as our apps, as our architectures get more complicated, we always have to pay attention to data residency, latency, and the scalability of our backend systems. Um, but um, you know, so Apollo really has, you know, we we have several different components. Like one is Apollo Client, so that's how you query your graph. You can get that for. React, iOS, Android, some great libraries. Um, mm -hmm. You don't have to use Apollo Client. You can, you know, use any kind of GraphQL, um, uh, you know, or even just like REST-based, you know, query system to query your graph. Um, then, then uh, in terms of how you connect your um, how you connect your backend services to the graph, you can use Apollo Server, or you can use any number of different libraries that are out there for different languages. Um, you know, so you know whatever language you're building your services in, uh, that's an option for you, and you just have a choice. If you want to use Apollo Server, you can write a little bit of JavaScript to bind to the existing APIs, or you can use GraphQL Java. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can get your services on the graph. Um, and um, not just the GraphQL standard, but 
Um, other open standards like Apollo Federation uh, is a technology or poly, you know, Apollo Tracing. There's a various, various of standards that we've right. defined on top of GraphQL so that all these services can connect to build one graph. Because our vision is you should have one graph across your company. You can take a few steps to get there. But since it's all about connecting data from different sources, we want to be able to help you integrate and manage wherever that data is coming from, whatever language you want to use, uh, wherever you want to consume it. That's the vision of the graph. And then the other component is, um, and we also have Apollo Gateway, which is a component that when you have all those different backend services, what's the query planner that stitches together? What's the ingress point going to be where that query comes so it can get fanned out to all those, all those pieces? Um, and then on top of that, there's um, Apollo Graph Manager, which is, okay, now we've got this um, increasing number of people on this platform. You know, just like, just like when I'm writing a program, I want to have source control, right? I want to place, I don't want the code to just be defined by whatever is on my laptop. I want to have a way of seeing versioning. I want to know like what's true, what's mm -hmm. in production, what's my process for changing and managing this. One of the first things you find you want in a graph is a, is a server that has all your schemas on it. Like what's the definition of my graph? If I have different, many different um, teams that are, you know, with APIs, like with REST APIs, you might change that API a couple times a year, uh, if that. With a graph, you know, you can be changing your graph multiple times a day. And because it's designed around a much more agile pra practice for how we can continually evolve and refine the graph because we can have much better workflows and tooling, um, that's possible. But you start to need a server that has all your schemas. You need to be able to manage how do we secure your, our graph? How do we federate all these different graphs together? Um, and that's um, Apollo Graph Manager, which is, you know, um, totally like language agnostic. So, um, Java, so we, we really embrace the, you know, the whole GraphQL ecosystem and, you know, it's not all going to be written in Apollo, but I think one of the reasons why, um, Apollo is so popular is that, you know, it, it really has this perspective of integrating many different GraphQL data sources. And, um, that's why even as there's a lot of other super exciting things happening in the GraphQL ecosystem, um, you know, Apollo is really about how do you get all that stuff into one graph so you can have the benefit of all of it. Right, when I look at GraphQL, um, I, I am reminded a little bit of some of the RPC-like technologies that came before because on the client side, you have to have some basic awareness of the, the function or the procedure that you're going to call on the server side. And I believe those, procedures are re referred to as resolvers, right? And so the, one of the questions I was getting at was, well, um, if you have to write these resolvers, these procedures on the server side to do some amount of processing, uh, you know, some procedural stuff, transformations, whatever it may be, um, are you saying that Apollo server is flexible enough that if your language is Java, I can go out and get the Java framework, develop my resolvers there, and plug them right in underneath uh, Apollo server alongside of the other uh, Node.js platform that you're already running on? Is that how that works? Exactly, yeah. You can write, if you want to use Node.js to write resolvers, you can use Apollo server. Um, if you want to use Java to write your resolvers, you can use GraphQL Java. Okay. Uh, you know, pick your language, pick your GraphQL library, um, and it's all standards-based, and then you can combine all that together with Apollo Gateway, and you've got one cohesive data graph, um, you know, different teams can use different languages, and it can all, like, plug together seamlessly into, you know, one shared graph that you have one point of view on, and, um, and it's amazing. You can just, the really cool thing is um, the graph acts as an abstraction layer, right? You know, yep. so you, you know, you can browse this connected map of all your data. It's all beautifully documented. The documentation is always up to date. It's always complete. A, a far cry from what we maybe experienced with some other API technology in the past. You can pick anything on the menu and get it. And 
you don't even necessarily need to know, hey, today, this could be a monolithic Ruby on Rails app, for example. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, this kind of could have gotten factored out into five, five microservices, some in Java, some in Scala, right. you know, take your pick. And you, the user, you, the developer, that iOS app or that web app, doesn't aren't matter. affected by that change. Right. So right. that's the power of putting this abstraction layer and this language we're talking about our data into our architecture. Yeah, that's always been the benefit of API technology in general is, is that the client is sufficiently decoupled from the server side of the equation, giving you that kind of flexibility and all sorts of other benefits. We won't go into them here. I talk a lot about them in our uh, APIs 101 uh, videos, but the uh, I want to come back to um, uh, you were talking a little bit, um, you mentioned this word, so I want to kind of go back to that, which is federation. And yeah. uh, so um, when you're building big graphs, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and by the way, I just want to also, for people who are still trying to like wrap their heads around this, a real good example of a graph that all of us probably have seen and use on a daily basis is is inside of Facebook and any application we use, uh, you know, whether we're going through the web uh, front end or through our mobile app on iOS or Android, um, this idea that everything is connected in Facebook, you've got friends and you're connected to those friends and then there's pictures that those friends have and you can look at those pictures and those pictures are tagged with other things. That's the graph we're talking about, right? Uh, what do you mean by federation and where does that play a role in all of this and what is Apollo doing to help people with that problem? So federation, um, so typically the way the, the graph starts in a company is there's, there's a product developer, a product development team, and they say, hey, we have to pull data from many different sources. What if we could stand up a graph so that we would have flexible access to all these different existing data sources? And you can do that very quickly and very easily. What you find is at some point, you know, the, sometimes you're a victim of your own success and it starts to get popular. And suddenly there's a lot of people that want to use this graph you've built. And suddenly you also find, hey, a lot of the people that provide backend services, they want to get their services onto this graph too. And you end up with this situation where you've got this one code base that's your, your graph server, whatever language you built it in, that's getting more and more complicated. You've got this problem where everybody owns it, nobody owns it. It's becoming this like central point in your architecture. You know, and you look at this and say, hey, you know, I love what the graph does for me, but I don't want to create another monolith in my architecture, you know, with this, you know, with this graph server. So what Federation lets you do is it lets you say, hey, instead of there being one code base and one team that maintains the graph, let's divide those responsibilities up over any number of different teams. So, you know, maybe I'm going to build the, you know, recommendation service and you're going to build the inventory service and, and you're going to build the payment service. And each of these services can be, uh, they can have its own schema in the graph and they can have foreign key references. So each service, you know, like the, the product service can reference the inventory service or the user service can reference the comment service. You can have good separation of concerns. Um, so each, each service can handle just their own concern in terms of the data and the you know, mutations they expose to the graph, um, but it can all appear as one cohesive graph um, to the end user through this federated architecture. Mm -hmm. So that gives you the benefit on the, on the user side, on the consumption side of having, look, having it, looking at it as if it was this one beautiful centrally planned graph, while also having the ability to implement it in pieces and decouple the development cycle of each of those teams, which is, um, necessary once the graph grows past a team or two, because what you find is people see a lot of value and benefit from this and they want to scale it across their company and they need a viable model for how they're going to build and deploy that. So that's what Federation is all about. Yeah, and of course, like, you know, the, the common thought on microservices architecture is that 
this should be uh, decentralized out to the departments so that you have sort of departmental responsibility for the various services. It shouldn't be like a central IT department trying to wrestle all of this to the ground. If you're responsible for customer data, then that you, you provide the the, the yeah. schema and the services for, for getting customer data into the larger graph. And if you're the one who provides mm -hmm. product data in another department, you deliver that. And, and that division of responsibility um, uh, works really well uh, for the more advanced organizations today that kind of get the advantage of a microservices-based culture, right? I mean, I think that seems to be where things are heading. Yeah, and the graph can provide you a very smooth path to that. So you can start with you know, one graph, it's just built by one team, it's very you know, simple and centralized, and you can easily pull out pieces and federate it as you, know, as you see the value and as it, as it proves itself to you. And what is, you but what does Apollo do? Do you have a separate offering that uh, kind of ties the whole thing together is that is that or is that part of Apollo server what do you yeah yeah, yeah so so we created the Apollo Federation standard um, based on you know working with you know quite a few large organizations we're getting to this point um, and so we provide you know um, both Apollo gateway which is a Federation gateway so it solves the problem of I you know GraphQL in many ways is fundamentally about what's the interface between your data center and the outside world so you're gonna have some kind of like any number of different ways you might structure your APIs inside your data center. You might use gRPC, Thrift, you know, REST, you know, might have some kind of service mesh architecture, any number of different ways you can do it. But what's the abstraction we're going to put on that for the outside world? So you need a gateway. So when those queries come in, you have a way of having a query planner effectively that says, mm -hmm. hey, this is this query. I'm going to figure out which services it touches, and I'm going to figure out the right order to call those services in. How do I, how do I turn this query, which expresses the user's intent, into a set of operations I'm going to perform on those different um, backing services. So um, we provide Apollo Gateway, which is a you know complete you know, open source federation implementation um, that has a query planner, all, all the stuff you need. Uh, and we provide Apollo Graph Manager, um, which has federation support. Because you know, the key problem you have to solve is, look, now we're going to have all these different teams who are all building their own part of the graph. We want to give those people complete flexibility and complete agility to just go build their piece and not worry about it. But if you think about it, we're actually, you know, tackling a pretty complex problem here because, you know, if the product service and the inventory service, like they both reference each other, we need to keep those things in sync and we need to keep the user in sync with what's happening. So sure. um, Apollo Managed, Managed Federation uh, is a feature in Graph Manager. So you can, um, you know, these services teams as they're developing their services right inside their continuous integration pipeline, they can check the CMI staying in sync with the other services. That gives you the confidence to ship multiple versions of your service a day knowing the product service is going to say in sync with the inventory service. Uh, it gives you the ability to say, hey, you know, I've changed some of these services. I'm going to roll this out to the production servers. So I'm going to take all those schemas, check them for consistency, find any problems, validate it against production traffic. So, okay, you changed something. Is this going to break any clients? You know, if it is going to break clients, hey, I can look at the last 30 days of production traffic and right. say, you know, this is going to break an iOS app that we shipped two years ago in India. You know, what do you want to do about it? Uh, and then, um, you know, take all those changes and roll them up into a deployment of the new version of Apollo Gateway with the new configuration, new query planner inside of it. So it solves all those problems for you in a seamless and automatic way, uh, which means you don't have to go build all that stuff to manage your graph. You can just get back to building your app, go back to building your applications, and you know, um, you know, it's a it's a very fast and easy way to roll this out. I could talk to you forever uh, because it sounds like you know you understand GraphQL is better as, as better than anybody on the planet. You guys have had the early mover advantage in terms of providing a great platform 
uh, so that people like Bob can go off and deliver GraphQL APIs. Bob, uh, one last question for you. Uh, when you were writing our big GraphQL series, you didn't know anything about GraphQL when you got started. How, how bad was the learning curve or was it pretty simple? Were you able to get up and running pretty quickly? That's something that other developers are going to want to know about. Um, the, 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 the learning curve, the learning curve was not arduous. It, it was, it was okay. It was okay. It took me a, a, a while to wrap my head around sub, um, concepts. The big one was really, leaving out was pagination, mm -hmm. was handling pagination. And there's a very particular way you have to do it. You have to, because it is fundamentally stateless, you make one trip to the network and you get back your data, you have to have a way of communicating back to those servers about uh, how, what your pagination state is. And it took me a little, little while to get uh, my head around that. And there, there was, there are some other things it's in the article. I think I, I pointed them out in the article yeah. things that I sort of had to pay a lot of attention to. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, oh my God, how did I get here? And when is this going to go away? Actually, it was quite enjoyable. Great. It really was. And it really allowed me to think differently. Well, great to hear. Well, Hey, Bob, Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. Yeah, that's Bob Resselman. He is one of the authors of many of our technical series on Programmable Web. And Jeff Schmidt over there at the Apollo headquarters. I want to thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Call me anytime. Yeah, we're speaking with Jeff Schmidt there. He's the CEO and co-founder of Apollo. Jeff, where can uh, the developers and everybody else who's watching this video find you guys? ApolloGraphQL.com. Bob Resselman has, of course, written many of the technical articles that you can find on ProgrammableWeb.com. For Programmable Web, I'm David Berlin. I want to thank you very much for joining us. If you want to find more videos like this one, you can come to ProgrammableWeb.com or you can go to our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash ProgrammableWeb. And there you'll not only find this video, but a whole bunch of other ones that we've recorded. So feel free to go up there, share the videos if you like. If you want to come to ProgrammableWeb.com and find the version there, we also add the full text transcript of everything that was said, as well as the audio-only version, so that if you just want to listen to the audio, you can. In fact, you can get that audio by downloading it from iTunes or Google Play Music as one of our podcasts from Programmable Web's Developers Rock podcast. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you at the next video.